welcome to the first episode of Voyage of Discovery. I'm your host, Mary Osborne, the museum specialist at the Stewart House, the birthplace of Kappa Kappa Gamma. I'm excited to be bringing you this podcast to commemorate Kappa's sesquicentennial. Voyage of Discovery will consist of 12 episodes, and a new episode will air each month through October 2020. From now until next October, we will explore Kappa's origins in Illinois, talk about some notable Kappas, and uncover some treasures here at the Stewart House and on Kappa's digital archives. We will also be hearing from some experts in the field of fraternity history. And now let's get on with this month's episode. If we're going to discuss Kappa's history, then we need to start with the town of Monmouth, Illinois. Monmouth was essential to Kappa's development. It's hardly a coincidence that this Midwestern town is the birthplace of two women's fraternities. In fact, all of the early women's fraternities were founded in the Midwest. I.C. Cirrhosis, now known as Pi Beta Phi, was founded in Monmouth in 1867. Kappa Alpha Theta, another early women's fraternity, was founded at Indiana Asbury College, now DePaul University, in 1870. Kappa Kappa Gamma, of course, was founded in Monmouth in 1870 as well. The Midwestern attitudes towards gender roles, work, and education provided favorable conditions for these societies to develop. The students' vision for creating something greater than themselves was also crucial to the, to the success of these Greek letter organizations. Before I jump into the story of Kappa's founding, we need to understand the rationale behind the creation of women's fraternities. In 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Morrill Act, which provided for the creation of public land-grant colleges. Public land-grant colleges were originally established to teach agriculture, military tactics, and the mechanical arts to agricultural and industrial workers. They also offered classes in the liberal arts. One consequence of the Morrill Act was that it opened the door for co-education. By 1870, 11,000 women out of approximately 3 million between the ages of 18 and 21 were attending college in the U.S. This number increased in the decades that followed. Women, however, still faced discrimination after they became students. This prejudice stemmed in part from pseudoscientific theories. Experts, such as Dr. Edward Clark, claimed that women were physically unfit to pursue higher education. In 1873, Clark published a book called Sex and Education, or a fair chance for the girls. This title seems misleading, but Clark actually argued that rigorous intellectual study would damage women's reproductive systems. Critics of co-education also claimed it tarnished the prestige and credibility of institutions. Regardless of the opposition, these public colleges and universities desperately needed tuition dollars from women students because the Civil War had led to declining enrollments. As a kind of compromise, colleges segregated women, students, and barred them from extracurricular activities. The administrations allowed women to attend certain classes, but refused them degrees. For example, at the University of Michigan, women did not socialize much with their male classmates and were excluded from campus organizations and social events. This first generation of women students were pioneers. They had ambition and saw higher education as a life goal. This attitude spanned the socioeconomic classes and put these women at odds with the domestic roles society expected them to fulfill. Instead, they acquired skills such as politicking, fundraising, and advertising. Many graduates went on to champion social reform and have careers in politics. The obstacles they faced on campus inspired these women to start their own fraternities. 
they modeled them after the men's organizations by adopting similar rituals and familial language. I use the word fraternity because at the time Kappa Kappa Gamma was founded, the word sorority had not yet been coined. It would not be invented until 1882. The word fraternity comes from the Greek word fratria, meaning family. Prominent Athenian citizens were divided into 12 fratria, or clans. Men's fraternities had been in existence for approximately 100 years before women started their own organizations. Phi Beta Kappa was founded at the College of William and Mary in 1776. These societies were influenced by Greek philosophy, which emphasized the pursuit of knowledge and truth. The societies aimed to instill in their members the principles of learning, morality, and friendship. Women started their own fraternities to help them achieve academic and social success. They wanted to prove that they were intelligent and capable of handling college-level work. Fraternity members critiqued each other's essays and discussed literary passages at their meetings. This extracurricular study helped the women excel in their classes. College curricula looked quite different in the 1870s than it does today. Students took courses in oratory, elocution, composition, and rhetoric. Many colleges did not offer classes in literature, drama, or music. Women nevertheless were expected to be familiar with these subjects, so fraternities filled this void. As a result, members could convince their peers that they were still feminine. They reshaped the feminine ideal to include intellect, as well as morality and grace. Now that I've given you some context for the founding of women's fraternities, we can situate Monmouth College and Kappa Kappa Gamma within this broader story. Monmouth College was founded in 1853, nine years before the passage of the Morrill Act. Originally, it was known as Monmouth Academy. It essentially functioned as a high school before becoming a full-fledged college in 1856. It was established by Presbyterian pastors James C. Porter and Robert Ross. These men had a vision for higher education on the prairie. In the early 1850s, Monmouth was in a favorable position to support a college for several reasons. First, more settlers were moving into the area. Second, the Peoria and Oquaco Railroad had been completed in 1855. Monmouth was also becoming a manufacturing center for plows, cigars, pottery, and soap. Among the pioneers who came to Monmouth were missionaries sent to plant churches, and of all the denominations, the Presbyterians were some of the best educated. They had already established colleges in Ohio and Indiana. Monmouth was a logical choice for a school because of the railroad and its proximity to the Mississippi River. It was close to the river, but far enough away to avoid the reputation of a river town. The citizens of Monmouth had also pledged $1,150 for a school. In 1856, Monmouth Academy expanded into Monmouth College. By 1857, the curriculum consisted of two courses of study, a classical one and a scientific one. The classical course emphasized study of Latin and Greek. During their freshman year, students typically took Latin, Greek, algebra, geometry, composition, and rhetoric. 26 women attended the college during its first year. Men and women took the same classes and applied for the same degrees from the college's inception. It's significant that the college afforded women this opportunity. Older coeducational schools, such as Oberlin College, initially did not permit women to receive baccalaureate degrees. As early as 1866, men began to organize fraternities on campus in order to instill common ideals and to edify one another socially, morally, and intellectually. 
These fraternities eventually included Beta Theta Pi, Sigma Chi, Delta Tau Delta, and Phi Delta Theta. At that time, women only had literary societies, such as the Amateur Belles Lettres, but Capet's founders wanted a fraternity of their own. The six founders were Mary Moore Stewart, better known as Minnie, Jenny Boyd, Anna Willits, Martha Louisa Stevenson, Lou Bennett, and Susan Walker. Most of the founders were members of the ABL Literary Society on campus. All but Susan were enrolled in the classical course of study, so they were well-versed in Greek and Latin culture. Tradition says that two of the founders first met on the campus bridge that used to run along North 9th Street between Broadway and East Boston Avenue. Today, a marker stands where the bridge once was. The two students discussed the idea of forming a fraternity. After months of planning, the founders signed Kappa's charter and constitution at Minnie Stewart's house. On October 13, 1870, the six women walked into, into chapel in Old Main on campus to announce the creation of their fraternity. Monmouth College's newspaper, The College Courier, reported, They wear a little gold key, sometimes on their foreheads, sometimes on the little blue or red jackets, which very much become them. We have been able to count only six of them, and, as has been intimated, they are on a voyage of discovery. In fact, the fraternity's badge, the golden key, represents the key to knowledge. Jenny Boyd recalled, We were so excited and proud. We had started something all by ourselves. Lou Stevenson also reflected, We were just a lively bunch of girls with good backing who wanted something different and got it. Lou's comment about good backing could have referred to the fact that the college president may have been sympathetic to their cause. David Wallace himself was a member of Beta Theta Pi fraternity. Lou Bennett's uncle, Dr. Alexander Young, had been a member of the faculty as well. It's impossible, however, to say how much the women revealed about their plans prior to the formal announcement in October 1870. The founders' recollections contradict one another on this point. Some were adamant that they kept their plans secret, but Lou Stevenson recalls taking a number of people into their confidence. Among their objectives, Kappa members pledged to unite in friendship and in building higher standards of womanhood. Alpha Chapter used their meetings to become better students. They studied such authors as Tennyson, Whittier, and Elizabeth Barrett Browning. They also read essays on justice, compulsory education, and hope and prayer. During the chapter's early years, most members were from Monmouth families or relatives or friends of members. Unfortunately, the activities and influence of Kappa's first chapter were short-lived. In 1874, the General Assembly of the United Presbyterian Church urged its members to disassociate themselves from Greek organizations. The church disapproved of secret societies, including Greek organizations. As a Presbyterian school, Monmouth abided by the decision, but it didn't strictly enforce the ban until 1878. President Wallace's favorable attitude toward Greek societies may have influenced the delay. Kappa's Alpha Chapter officially disbanded in 1878, but the women continued to meet secretly and initiate new members. For example, we know that Elizabeth Wallace Taggart, the daughter of President Wallace, became a Kappa during this time. After the Alpha Chapter disbanded, its records of its early history were lost. The college eventually lifted its ban on Greek organizations, and Kappa was reinstalled in 1934. Even though Kappa was not visibly active on campus during those years, its influence could be seen in the lives of its alumni. The founders went on to have careers in teaching and served their communities. 
Jenny Boyd taught in Monmouth for a year and later in the Omaha and Kansas school systems. Lou Stevenson married William Oliver Miller in 1874. They were instrumental in the founding of Tarkio College in Missouri. Anna Willits married Henry Howard Petit in 1881 and participated in a number of local organizations, including PEO. Minnie also taught school in Monmouth, but later married and moved to Florida, where she became the principal of a high school. Today, Kappa Kappa Gamma has over 140 chapters across the country, plus alumni associations. It owes its existence and strength to Monmouth. The environment and opportunities available to students here allowed Kappa to flourish. The fraternity's influence has spread but remains strong in this community. Kappa continues to develop women leaders, and I think its founders would be proud of all that it has achieved. That's all the time we have for today. Next month, join me as I delve into the lives of some of the members of the Stewart family. I'm Mary Osborne for the Voyage of Discovery. Voyage of Discovery is recorded at the Stewart House, an educational outreach program of Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit the Foundation's page on kappa.org. Like us on Facebook and follow Stuart House 1865 on Instagram. Thanks for listening.